Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, it's such a joy again to be with you today, and I'm very excited about God's Word being preached this morning. We're in a great series called Great Comebacks. Give me a shout out if you was here last week. We addressed an amazing story in the Gospels there of Jesus touching a lady with the issue of blood. What a setback this lady had, but the bigger the setback, the greater the comeback. And uh, I don't know whether I'm going to be speaking to anybody today who needs a comeback. Are you ready for a comeback? Can I hear a big shout where you are? Before we get into the message and, you know, week two, and I'm excited about it, I want to give a big shout out to all those who are watching across all the locations. If you're tuning in for the very first time, we're Arena Church, and we're one church in seven locations, and uh, spread across the East Midlands predominantly, but also in that great city of Toulouse there in France. And we just want to give each campus a shout out. So quickly, come on, Belper, wonderful, now to the Hub, and Ilkeston. On to Mansfield, now to Nottingham, to the online, and we want to give Toulouse a big shout out this morning as well. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for those who sent messages uh, around the series of last week. It obviously impacted numbers of people, and I really believe that there's many of us who are believing for a great comeback. As I've said to you before, the bigger the setback, the greater the comeback, and of course, history is littered, sport is littered, movies are littered with all kinds of examples of great comebacks. But today, as I preach this message, it would be unfair of me and unbalanced of me if I do not address throughout the series something that I want to talk about today. Because what about a setback that is self-inflicted? You know, the reality is we shake our fist at God and we, we, we blame the devil and we blame everybody else, but oftentimes setbacks can be a result of ourselves. They're self-inflicted. And the question that many people ask themselves is, can I come back from a self-inflicted setback? What I'm talking about, in essence, is, and it's, it's uncomfortable in, in many ways, but that moral failure, that Time when you do the wrong thing, when you know the right thing to do. You know, I love the Bible, and I love how it hides um, nothing from us. The sins, the failings, the tragedy of people of the Bible. It's there for us all to see. But these moral failures can destroy families, and also they can rob faith. And you may be on the broadcast today, and you've had an incredible moral failure And it's caused you to live in a setback. But I want to encourage you today to stay tuned to the broadcast. Because I really believe in the corners of our towns and cities that we're ministering to. As we speak across the the airwaves through this broadcast. Then onto YouTube when it puts on on that platform. There have been many people who have been listening to this. Who've had moral setbacks. And you've believed there is no comeback available to you. Now, in some cases, they have devastating consequences, the setbacks, the moral failings that many people can enter into. Now, I was brought up 
in uh, Sunday school, an upbringing of Sunday school, that's long gone. Kids don't go to Sunday school now. And I was brought up in a church environment, and I thank God for it. But I was raised in a church at that particular point in the 70s and into 80s, where there was great truth, but little grace. I heard much about the law. I heard much about how God was against things, how, how God was going to smite me if I, if I did things, and, and, but very, very little about grace. So I have a great truth handle, but at that point in my younger years, I didn't really know much about the grace of God, interestingly. Now, in the church environment that we're in, it could be that we know a lot about grace, but very little about truth. What do I mean by that is, well, we say that everything's acceptable, everything's permissible. We've just got to have tolerance. We've got to live with compromise. And of course, those things aren't bad, but again, they're taken to extremes. You know, God loves us. I've said this many times. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And there are consequences to behaviors. God gets very sad. God gets very mad at some of the things that we do, and they are unacceptable to God. But the hyper grace will say, it doesn't matter. I want to just address today that there is a God and there is a saviour, Jesus, and it describes him in the Gospels that he was full of both grace and truth. Jesus was overflowing with these two values, these two principles. So this morning and today, the afternoon and the evening, I want you to understand that there is a balance to this message as we talk about great comebacks. Now, just to really make it absolutely clear, and please don't switch off. This is going to be a great message, honestly. Just stay with me. I just need to get these things as an introductory uh, out there. Just to underscore what I'm really talking about, the, the, the Bible lists many, many times those things, particularly in the New Testament, those areas of our lives that displease God. Galatians 5 verse 19 gives a really compact list. Let me just give it to you for a moment if you're unsure what I'm talking about. It says the cravings of the self-life or the sin life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favoured, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behaviour. These are moral failings that this list is addressing. And in the moment as we do them, it feels good. But then afterwards, we feel the consequences of that. And of course, self-inflicted setbacks can reverberate through marriages and homes and families and ultimately through communities. Now, you're here today and you're on the broadcast and you think this is my life. You've just described it in a nutshell and there's no way back for me. I want to tell you that that is a lie. You say to yourself, there's no way through, there's no way up. But I want to tell you today, there is, there is redemption. All is not lost. Because the greatest comeback story of all, which we'll address at the last week that we address this series, is when Jesus came to earth, hung upon a cross for the sins of our, of our lives. 
It actually describes that he, in the Bible of Jesus that he took every sin. He took all our shame. He took every mistake, every ill, every evil. And he was nailed to the cross. That then ultimately allows us to, lead, to move from our setback into the greatest comeback of all. This message is for sinners. It's for prodigals. It's for those who are bitter and broken church attenders. Am I speaking to anybody here today? I want to say again, the bigger the setback, the greater the comeback. Philippians 1 verse 6, I ask you to commit it to memory. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until Jesus returns. If you are in a moral setback, please stay tuned because there is good news for you. If you have been failing and making mistakes and your life has been one setback after another, I want to help you today in this message to move forward into your comeback. And I'm going to use an example of a man in the Bible. Now, if I said, what do you know of David, those who have been to Sunday school or been in church, what would you, what would you shout out? Shout at me, you know, from your screens. Yes, some would say, well, he was a king. Yes, he was. He was a worshiper. Yes, he danced before the Lord, it says. He was a great leader of God's people at that time. He was a warrior. Yes, he was a giant slayer. He was. He was previously a shepherd, went from lowly upbringing to become the king of Israel. All those things are true. But there was also a season in his life when he willfully chose to sin. And it led him to become a liar, an adulterer, and ultimately a murderer. This was self-inflicted. And it was a real setback. So I want to take your attention for a moment to 2 Samuel in chapter 11. We're just going to go there for a moment. I'll lead you down where I'm going. We'll make some comments around it. And then I want to take you to a great psalm in Psalm 51. And we're going to look at three things that David did that caused him to move from his setback into a comeback. So first, 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1. It reads there. Come on, let's read it together. In the spring... At the times when kings go off to war, can I encourage you to underline that if you've got your Bibles? David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, he remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2 One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent us someone. To find out about her, underline that. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 4. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from a monthly uncleanliness. And then she went back home. Verse 5. The woman conceived. And sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. You need to continue to read the story, but for time, I'll stop there. Because what I want to say is, as an introductory uh, to this story, up until this point, David's example, his life, his character was exemplary. He led the people. He loved God. 
He had lived a life of purpose. He was the king of all Israel. He brought peace to the land. He defeated foreign uh, kings and rulers. He restored the presence of God and God at the very center of that nation. So what was David thinking? Was it a moment of madness? I don't know. Was it, was it curiosity? I don't know. Was it fatigue? Was it complacency? It may have been one or all of those things. But it says in the opening uh, comments, and this is why I asked you to underline it, because we can often skim over the text and not delve in, uh, carefully to it. It says in verse 1, but when kings should have been at war, David was the king. He should have been leading the charge with his troops, but instead he was relaxing. In essence, what that says to me is God was down. And this is warning number one, amber light. Warning number one. We need to understand that we're in a battle. I'm talking to those who know Jesus in this moment. You need to know that you're in a battle. And we have to make sure that we do not let our God go down. Our God can get down. I know it to be true. You can let your God down. And the enemy often comes in on the back of a great victory or a great win. And we can find ourselves relaxing as David was. And what began to fill his mind was not good. It was impure. It was not right. His imagination went wild. And it may be you too in this season of lockdown. You went into lockdown great on the back of a great victory, a great win. But your mind's been filled with all kinds of things because you've been listening, watching, seeing, reading, all kinds of crazy things. Let me tell you some of the crazy superstitions that are on the internet at the moment. Crazy ideas, crazy theologies. They are crazy, guys. They are not inspired by God. They are not meant to lift people. They are there planted by the enemy to confuse us and to bring distraction and to take us away from God. And we can do it because our guards are down. David's guard was down and he lusted after her beauty. And he said to himself, I must have her. Now warning number one, Amber was bad enough, but now warning number two comes because he went through the red light. And he sent a messenger to find out who she was. You read it in the text, he sent someone. And the messenger came back. But I just see the indignation of this messenger. It's really, really fascinating. Because in essence, I read into this, the messenger came back and he delivered a message, but I get the message within the message. He was basically saying to David, David, don't do it, back off. Because he went on to say, in the text records, the messenger said, she has a husband. Her name, his name is Uriah. And he's one of your captains. You know Uriah is out there fighting for you. And you know her dad, Eliam. And he's also known as Emil, if you don't know. And he's one of your top-ranking officers. In fact, he's one of your 37 mighty men. David, please do not take this woman who has a husband. You'll di disgrace the husband and you'll also cause conflict between a friendship that has been long-standing. And he goes through the red light. And David, of course, knew this because the, 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 the fact that Bathsheba could be seen tells us that she was in the confines of the palace of the walls. David knew. I'm not saying he knew Bathsheba, but he knew she, the closeness to the palace. 
but he went through amber light and red light. And he disregarded himself, God, and the men who he would hurt. Let me tell you, Satan wants to tell you how much fun sin is without telling you about the consequences you'll face. He wants you to discover those on your own. Great quote from Dr. Tony Evans. And it was self-inflicted. He got caught up in a web of lies and deceit and one lie to get out of another because the story continues that then to cover the pregnancy up, he brings Uriah back and says, go and sleep with your wife. But Uriah, because he was an honorable man, says, how can I do that when my rest of my men are out fighting? He would not lay with her. And because he would not lay with her, there was no way of covering up the pregnancy. And so he sent Uriah out. And there was a plot to make sure that he was left on the front line while, the, while his troops retreated. And of course, he was going to be killed. David was a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. And he was all self-inflicted. See? Doom and gloom. And it took a prophet by the name of Nathan, a humble, confident though, prophet to come and bring the word of the Lord. If you're really into this story, read 2 Samuel 11 and then read 2 Samuel 12 and you'll see the account. But the story doesn't end there because this is an incredible setback in the, in the kingdom of Israel. This is an incredible setback for David, the shepherd boy, who the Bible records is a man after God's own heart. And I have come across many men who once, and women who once pursued God and then had a moral setback and are no longer following God. And you may even be on the broadcast today. This is your time to come back. Because David did not stay there. As the prophet brought the word of the Lord to him. And again, I want to announce to you, I almost feel like I'm bringing the word of the Lord to people. And as the word of the Lord came to him, Psalm 51 records a number of things. And in this psalm, we see the restoration of hope. And what's interesting about this psalm, and we're going to go to it just in the last few minutes that I've got with you, because David Penns writes this psalm. A psalm is a song that would have then been sung throughout his kingdom, which is bizarre because David was penning this song from a travesty, his own. It was an incredible setback, but he also announces an incredible comeback. Can you imagine, you songwriters out there, we've got some great songwriters in our church. We really have talented, amazing people who I really believe their songs are going to be sung over the, across the world. I believe it. Guys, all of you believe it now. Just take that word in Jesus' name. Can you imagine now writing a song about your moral failure that everybody would sing. It's unthinkable, but David cared nothing. He was not concerned about what people thought about him, only what God thought. And this psalm tells us that he only wanted to be clean before God. You know, the divine message of the prophet from Nathan had aroused his dormant conscience and then made him see the greatness of his guilt. He had forgotten his songwriting while he was indulging his flesh. But I'm so glad that David returned to his harp when his spiritual nature was awakened. And he poured out this song. I can imagine him writing it now, penning it with his harp, with great sighs and tears as his heart was 
awakened. And let me tell you today, some of you need awakening while others need to hear this message as a warning. Some of you need to be awakened and some of you need to hear it and heed it as a warning. To get a comeback from a setback, we have to first deal with the setup. So let's delve into Psalm 51 in these minutes that I've got with you. The first thing I want to say quickly is David came before the Lord with confession. Psalm 51 verse 1 to 2, I'll just read the text and then let it speak to us. He writes this song, God give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt because your compassion is so great. Take away this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. Verse three and four, for I'm so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you. For you saw it all. Verse five, Lord, I've been a sinner from birth from the moment my mother conceived me. Get the language, guys. David brought a confession. He said, I'm shameful. My guilt is too much to bear. I'm ashamed. I sinned right in front of you, God. This is a broken man. This is the tears, the snot, the anguish, the pain. And I feel it in this psalm. Last week, we spoke about a broken woman. But today, we're talking about a broken man. Because his setback was self-inflicted. But I'm so glad that he didn't stay mumbling and grumbling and complaining and blaming everybody else. He took full responsibility for his sinfulness. And this was the starting point to go from setback to comeback. If you're listening to me today, you've been in this failure. I want to tell you the starting point is confession. I heard one leader say to me recently about a well-known leader who is now in glory, saying about this leader, this leader once said to him, I never say I'm sorry because I am never wrong. Wow, that is so untrue. We're all wrong. We've all done wrong. We're all sinful. In fact, David records we're sinful from birth. And oftentimes we don't get a comeback because we're truly not heartfelt sorry. Admitting that we've done wrong. 1 John 1 verse 8 says this, if we claim to be without sin, and you might be on the broadcast today and you're saying this, I've done nothing wrong. It's everybody else, everybody else's fault. Listen to this carefully. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are people, the world is filled with deception. Blaming everybody else but themselves. And here we see the power, the need for confession. I remember in my teenage years, I spent more time at the altar than I did on my feet. I remember times of, of pouring my heart out before the Lord. I cared not for what others thought like David. And can I say this? We need to alter the altar. Many people see this altar here and we see it as a platform. It's an altar. And God calls us first not to a platform, but an altar. Pastor Tommy Tenney, who's a well-known American pastor, said this, fire doesn't fall on empty altars. There has to be a sacrifice on the altar for the fire to fall. If you want the fire of God, you must become the fuel of God. I'm encouraging people 
wherever you are, wherever your life is, to allow your life to be the fuel of God on the altar of God. And watch what he does. This was not crocodile's tears from David. This was genuine, genuine repentance. Repentance. He wasn't saying, sorry that I got caught. He was saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. And we need to be people who live with confession. Let me just finish before I say this. I'll go move to the second point. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and I love this thought as I was delving around it. He says, the careless soul is content with a nominal cleansing, but the truly awakened conscience desires a real and practical washing and that of the most complete and efficient kind. David says, wash me thoroughly, and then you will know the fountain of forgiveness, which never runs dry. We need to confess. My mind goes before I go to point two of 1 John 1 verse 9, where it says there, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. This is the starting point. And the second thing that David did, this is what he had to do. He had to confess. But the second thing was cleansing. And this is what God does. Let me just read it to you for a moment. Verse seven, purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Verse nine, hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Verse 10 of Psalm 51, create a clean a new heart within me and fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires ready to please you. There was a confession that David had to make, but there was a cleansing that God brings. And this is the comeback. This is the comeback. If you want to move from where you are, from your setback into your comeback, there is a confession, but then there is a receiving of the cleansing of God. David saw himself as he was. You notice the language. He sees himself as a leper. This leper was an outcast, was unclean. Lepers were abandoned outside the city's, city walls. They were banished from the presence of their families and people in general. And David describes himself as a leper. In that moment, he was saying, there's no excuses. There's no deception. There's no mask. I am sinful and I need cleansing. And he saw himself as he, as he was, as he is. Can I encourage you? I've said it earlier. Don't keep blaming and complaining. Take responsibility and lean into the cleansing work of Christ. David also knew the amazing grace because it says, I raise all my guilt by your saving grace. Notice the text in verse nine. And David had a glimpse of the grace of God through Jesus and he knew that Jesus had the power even before Jesus had come. He knew that he had the power to forgive, heal, and soothe. He also knew that he needed to, to have a new heart. This is the cleansing work of God. He comes and he uh, pours his saving grace upon us. But then God and Jesus, through Jesus, he comes and gives us a brand new heart. Notice that David didn't say just you know, renew my heart. He says, give me a brand new heart. Make me absolutely clean. David was too experienced in the hopelessness of his old nature. He knew the old man and he knew that he needed to be buried as a dead thing. 
and new creation, a new heart needed to arise. Only God can do that. Some people are trying self-improvement. They're trying to get self-help. They're trying to improve themselves and get better and get right. And you never will. It's only God can do that. Only God can pour his cleansing fountain of grace and mercy and forgiveness upon you. Do you receive it? And this new heart gives us new desires. Oh God, give us new desires. Give us new thinking. Give us new pursuits. Give us new language. Give us new actions. And then he goes on to say, finally, he says, fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires. I've already said over many times, this season has brought to many people, I've spoke to numbers of leaders, rogue and dark thoughts. And if there's ever a time when we need to fill our hearts and our minds with pure thoughts and holy desires, it's today. May we cry out again for God to touch us anew. God comes and he cleanses as we confess, but thirdly, he doesn't just cleanse us and then leave us there. But there's a consecration that took place in David. I love this. I absolutely love this. There was a repurposing of his life. He went from his greatest moral setback to an incredible comeback. God repurposed him. You may be here today feeling like your life is broken and lost and there's no way back and no way through. But God says to you today, Confess your sins. Allow me to cleanse you and wash you. And then watch what I will do with your life. I will repurpose your life. I will refashion your life in my hands and for my glory. Because it says in verse 12, remember the Psalm 51, this is a song. And if I've got my singing voice on, I try and sing it, but I won't. He, he, he sings, let my passion for life be restored. Tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Verse 16, for the source of your pleasure is not in my performance. All the sacrifices I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure, listen, is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet. As I finish this, this consecration, these closing verses of this wonderful psalm that David writes from his setback to his comeback announces a restoration, a renewal, a repurposing, a reviving, a refreshing. He says, let my passion for life be restored. Some of you need a passion for life to be restored. Restored. There is a divine exchange. Just for a moment, hear, hear this. There is a divine exchange that Jesus offers every one of us. Joy for misery. Peace for fear. Hope for despair. Faith for doubt. There is a divine exchange that takes place. And David knew it as he came and confessed, as he received the cleansing power of Christ in his heart. He knew that he was being set up for his greatest comeback and there was a consecration that was taking place. There was a restoration, there was a reviving of joy and some of you need an explosion of joy. Some of you need a good laugh again. My wife tells me many times, just laugh with us. Have a good laugh, it's true. It's like good medicine. 
But I'm not just talking about a good laugh. I'm talking about deep down in your heart, the joy of your salvation. One version of this says this, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh, the day that we were saved. Oh, the day that we met with Jesus. Oh, the day that we needed a saviour. We skipped out so happy. We got off our knees knowing that all was right, that we were right with God. That joy, restore, this is what David was saying. And in that moment, there was a consecration. There was a sealing. He went from the setback to the comeback. And he surrendered as he said, God, I bring before you my shattered heart. I humbly bow down at your feet. And God heard the prayer and the psalm of David and once again consecrated him for divine purposes. Can I call those who have a call on their life, who are in the mud and the mire and the mess, come back to God. Confess your sins. Allow the cleansing work of Christ and then get a consecration. Called out, separated unto God. This is the call for every one of us. You might not be in a moral setback. You may have never done anything that's self-inflicted. But listen, we're all called to consecrate our hearts before God. Because of time, I won't necessarily read it through, but Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus announces a similar consecration. He says, if you want to come after me, you need to take up your cross and you need to experience it as your own. If you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continue to discover true life. I hope you're getting the urgency of this confession. The need for cleansing is imperative, but there is a call of consecration that is resounding throughout the earth today. D.L. Moody once said this, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Church, I want to live a life of confession and cleansing and consecration to God. God, use my life for you. May may I be a vessel in your hands. I pray that for you, church, that you would know the cleansing power of God as you confess your sins before him and you will know the consecration that he will use your life with purpose and it will be full of joy and it will be full of hope and it will be full of peace and it will be full of faith. Can I raise an amen? Listen, we can't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't win it. This is a free gift from God. And let me just finish by saying this. Out of consecration, God is able to do amazing things. God is wanting to do much more through your life, through your family, through your home, through our church, in our communities. And it comes out of consecration. So, Your comeback is determined by your coming back. Some of you need to come back. Some of you need to come back. You've been wandering over these last few months. You need to come back to the Lord. Some of you have been wandering for years. You're on the broadcast. You don't know why you clicked on. I know why you clicked on because God led you to hear this message. You've been wandering. Come back. Your comeback is determined only by your coming back. Come back to God. Confess your sins, receive his cleansing, and then know the consecration of God. Can I get an amen? The bigger the setback, the greater 
but come back. Come on, let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, I want to pray with you today. Lord Jesus, on the broadcast, there are people who have been away from you. They've not been awakened for a long time. There are some people on the broadcast, this is a warning shot to them. They're ready to go through the amber light and possibly into the red light. And this is a warning to them to stop us from entering into moral setbacks. But Lord, for those who have, I pray, Lord, as they confess their sins, really, really confess their sins, as they pour out their hearts before you, that you would cleanse them and that you would bless them. On the broadcast today, if you're saying, yes, I want to know Jesus, I want to know the power of his forgiveness in my life, you just pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse me, change me, renew me, give me a brand new start. I'm going to live for you for the rest of my days. I'm going to throw off the setback and I'm going to walk in this comeback that you've prepared for me. That is you today. Click on the screen now, you'll see it. Just click on the screen. If you're watching in another environment where there is no screen, you in this moment just pour out your heart to God and receive Jesus as your saviour. Church, today you might be here and you know your life's been in a mess. I want to pray for you. I pray, Lord, that as we come back as a church, there wouldn't just be a physical coming back, but there would be a coming back of our hearts, that people would come back to you. They would put their trust in you. And Lord, this would be the greatest comeback in people's lives. Thank you, Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. Nothing. Nothing that we have done that is too far for you to forgive. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that the church would receive the forgiveness and the cleansing and the consecration of God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for staying with the duration of this message. I was handling, I said to my wife, Caroline, it's a tough one this morning. I hope you felt the weight of it, but also the joy of it. There is a great comeback for those who've had an incredible setback. And as always, guys, I want to tell you, I love you, I'm praying for you, and I believe in you. God bless you.